Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Good morning, church. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Isn't it great to have the choir back with us on Sunday mornings? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. You know, um, I've always thought this day is actually mislabeled. Uh, we should actually have, as believers call it, Dependence Day. It's a day when we actually remember who we're depending upon, right? Where everything we have comes from. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to just be thankful in prayer for that in a second. Welcome to all of you who are watching online and those who are here. There's a, a particular buzz in the place today. And it's not just because there was free food. Uh, it's because we've got an extra special service plan for you, and uh, uh, it's going to unveil itself in just a moment. Pastor Ray is going to start us off in a few moments, uh, and then we're going to be followed uh, by uh, Pastor Sean Van Dopp, both men whom I greatly admire, uh, and uh, you're in for a treat. But first, this is the point in our service when we focus in on prayer, when we've been praying for our core uh, six uh, prayer requests for the year, and uh, we're going to do things a little differently today. Today, we're not going to pray for one of the six. We're actually going to be thankful that one of the six is no longer there, right? We're going, yeah, absolutely. Instead, we're going to express our thanks to God uh, for removing uh, prayer request number six before we have our lead pastor, right? So uh, we're uh, whether you're visiting or uh, whether you're a longtime attender here, you know the deal. We just love to uh, pray here, and I'm going to ask you just to pray in unison, and if you feel comfortable, just to do that out loud. If not, uh, that's quite okay too, but let's pray in unison and be grateful today. Obviously, just grateful to God, but specifically grateful to God for the provision of our lead pastor. Uh, let's do that for just a few moments now, and then Pastor Ray will begin. Would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Thank you for the board for inviting me to come and, uh, and um, share in this very special day uh, that you're enjoying. And it was, it was a delight to be with you. And I'm here to give a short charge. And so Fran and I just got back last night. And uh, we're, we're just excited to be with you this morning. And uh, <clears throat> I want to start with a little introduction that comes from a book that 
Eric Metaxas wrote, and it's called, If You Can Keep It. And uh, he tells a little story. I'll just start with a snippet, and then you'll see where this is going. He says that for a hundred days in the summer of 1787, 55 of the most brilliant men gathered in Philadelphia to create the Constitution of the United States. They formed the foundation of a form of government that had never been tried before, democracy. And when Benjamin, at least not successfully, when Benjamin Franklin, a chief founding father, emerged, he was accosted by a Mrs. Powell of Philadelphia who asked this. She said, well, doctor, what have we got? A republic, or a democracy, or a monarchy? Franklin, who was rarely short of words, shot back, a republic, madam, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. He understood that the document could only be a beginning. The people themselves would have to do a lot to make it work. Forty years after the Constitution, in 1831, the French thinker and historian Alexis Tocqueville traveled to America on behalf of France to investigate her, well, her prisons, but it went much broader than that, also her democracy. And, um, and he is accredited with the quote that I'm going to give you now because he, went, he wrote a long report and he took it back to the government in France and he is often credited by presidents uh, Eisenhower, uh, and Clinton and Reagan, all three of them, uh, uh, read this quote, although he didn't actually say it. But it, well, it was someone else who said it of what Tocqueville wrote, and, uh, but it represents fairly what he actually said. And this is the quote, listen carefully. Not until I went into the churches in America and heard the pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power? America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. That's what he said. Why? Because people who grow in the fear of the Lord know that they are accountable to one who can see everything they think and see and do. Is that true? That's why. And so they hold themselves to account uh, because they know that they will be held to account either now or in the future or both. And so they act differently than others who try to get away with things. As long as the government can't see me, I can do whatever I want. You see what I'm saying? Thus, they are self-governing in need of much fewer laws or, and much fewer enforcement officers. It takes a righteous population to build and keep a democratic nation, and righteous people are produced by churches. Did you get that? Righteous people are produced by churches. There is, no, there is nothing else that can produce the kind of people required for a free democratic society. The church is needed. Would you agree? So who builds the church? Anybody? 
Yeah, everybody says, oh, well, uh, some of you uh, said that, uh, said some other things, but Jesus said, I will what? I will build my church. Anyone else? Anyone else? Or is it just Jesus? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's go there. It says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise what? Builder. Who's I? Who is writing? Paul, the Apostle Paul. So now we know that at least Jesus builds his church and the Apostle Paul builds the church. Would you agree? At least those two are building the church. Anybody else? Let's read on. It says, what does it say next? And someone else is what? Building on it. So now, now we know that Jesus is building the church. The Apostle Paul and someone else is building the church. Amen? Oh, amen. But let's read on. But each one should what? Build with care. So who builds the church? Correct. Jesus is building his church. And we build the church. In, in fact, in verse 9, he calls them co-laborers. We build the church. It's not just we sitting back passively. We actively engage as we're called into um, work together with Jesus to build his church. All of us are to do it. Not just Jesus and not just the pastor. Right? Not just the pastor. Everyone. Paul also said that how we build will be judged. He went on to say, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hair, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If you stand by and watch Jesus and, other build, and others build the church, you will give account. We will all give account. Amen? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. We'll all give account. And if we just stand by and watch others build the church, <clears throat> and there's been some like the board and the staff and many of you who are really building and working hard after a hurricane came through this church. Amen? And uh, you need to be commended for that. But everybody has to be involved in this, in this building and rebuilding. 1 Corinthians 3, 14 to 15 says, If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. A what? Aha. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss. But yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. Do you want to just get there with your you know, with just barely your threads on and stand before Jesus? I know you don't. And so God calls us to join him in this building. And then Paul sounded a warning. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? He's talking about the church, and you're going to see it in just a moment. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Does, does the Holy Spirit dwell in our bodies, yes or no? Yes, he does. We all know that. We're evangelicals, right? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that. 
that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit where he lives. But in chapter 3, he's not talking about our bodies. He's talking about the body. Amen? He's talking about the body of Christ, which is a temple. And he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will what? Yeah. That's in the scriptures. For God's temple is sacred because that's where he dwells. And you together are that temple. Notice that you together are the temple. That's the church. And God says if anyone destroys his church, he will destroy that person. And there's a couple of reasons for it. Number one, it's a sacred place where he lives. It's like when he lived in the Old Testament tabernacle and, and temple. Would you have gone and destroyed that thing? Or would you have been afraid to destroy it? Huh? Oh, yeah. You would be. Now he dwells in this midst. And it's his church. And if we destroy it, it's sacred. And here's another reason he's so passionate about his church and that he's serious about it. Because it is the church that creates righteous people and it is righteous people who build a nation that honors God. Amen? That's how we reach the nations. If the church gets destroyed, there is no plan B. Isn't that true? <laughs> you have a real message coming up, and it's going to be good. I know what the topic is already. And uh, this is just the charge. So here's some practical things. I got three practical pieces coming out of this for your pastor, and I have three for you. Is that fair? Okay. Number one, uh, dressing Pastor Stefan, resist the temptation to think the church belongs to anyone but Christ. It doesn't, the church doesn't belong, uh, or it doesn't belong to the church. It doesn't belong to the staff or board. It doesn't belong to you. Church doesn't belong to anybody. It doesn't belong to you either. Is that true? It, he said, I'll build what? My church. Amen? It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to him. It doesn't belong to the board, the staff. It belongs to him. Resist the temptation, number two, to please people. Resist the temptation to do the easy stuff. Preach the easy stuff and the entertaining stuff. Resist that temptation. Give them what they need. Don't give them skim milk. Give them whole milk. Never skim it. And then give them meat on top of it. Amen? That's number two. Number three. Resist the temptation to elevate tasks over prayer and time with Jesus. And you've on a good start on all three of those. But this is what I want to say. Many start out well, and few finish well. You, I charge, finish well for Jesus Christ. Number two, you, church, I got a charge for you too. Three things, here it is. Join Jesus and Pastor Stephan and leaders in building the church. When I started at Southland in 1996, one man came to me after a vision uh, session. I'll never forget it. And uh, he folded his arms and he said, well, 
I'm just going to watch you for a while, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to join in. He didn't know the first thing about church. And you know what? He never did pick up a finger and eventually left the church. That's sad. Amen? You get busy today. You don't wait and see how he's going to do in 10 years. He doesn't need your help in 10 years. He needs your help now. Amen? Amen. I like that. Oh, you're a lively bunch. That's great. When Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah were sent back to Babylon to rebuild the temple and then Jerusalem, the prophets Haggai and Zacharias preached to all the people to get involved in building the church because everybody's involved. Number two, here, this is for you, church. So you know the first one, help them. Amen? Help them. Number two, resist the temptation to hold bitterness and offense. This one has felled the most godly people in the church. Few get past this one. As Pastor Stephen said, uh, we were listening from Vancouver, he said last weekend, he said, though adultery destroys many homes, it, dis it seldom destroys churches. And he was right. It seldom does. We, adultery seldom destroys <coughs> churches, destroys homes. Bitterness and offense and unforgiveness kill churches. It is the giant, I call it the silent killer. You know, heart disease. This, this one kills churches more than any other thing. In fact, you could just about take all those together, put them together, and it wouldn't add up to what this one does. You have to forgive. Last week, he asked the question, how many of you have been hurt? And I looked at Fran and I said, I bet most hands went up. Now I want to flip that question. How many of you have ever hurt somebody? There we go. Ah, you're an honest bunch. Pastor Sean's church, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> but in this one, they did. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> He's got a fantastic church preached in it. Love it. All right, so uh, this is how it usually happens. You begin by, this is the progression, you begin by judging somebody else, their motives. That's how it begins. You judge their motives. Jesus said we're not supposed to judge other people's motives. Then it moves to false accusations. And you start, you go to them now and you accuse them falsely based on your on what you thought their motives and, and intentions were. But that's not the worst one. You know what's the worst one? Then you take your judgment of false motives and your false accusations and you take them into the rest of the body and you start telling others. And you poison the well. That's called, by the way, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's called slander. False motives turns to false or, or yeah, um, uh, judging motives, turns to false accusations, turns to, what? Slander, and that destroys churches. More than any other thing that I know. All right, so pray this. I keep hearing him say, pray, uh, you know, we've got to become unoffendable. You, have you heard him say that? 
I keep hearing him say that. That's, that's a wonderful thing. Here's one thing to pray for yourself and your family and those in your small groups. Pray that you develop thick skins and soft hearts. Amen? And you won't be offendable. And lastly, pray for your pastor and family. Have you ever heard about PKs? Huh? PKs? They have a notorious reputation. In many churches, they're the worst kids. That's what a lot of people have come to believe. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that's true, because mine aren't. <laughs> However, have you ever wondered why? Is it because they're such terrible parents? Is it just that pastors happen to be the worst kind of parents on the planet? No, I'll tell you why. Because your pastor has a target on his back. The enemy wants to wipe out all your families and all your kids. No question about it. But the one he really wants to get is his. And I'll tell you why. Because if he gets that family and tears it apart, he tears apart your entire church. Amen? So this is what you got to do. you got to pray for him. I challenge you to put one day in your calendar per week and really intercede for your pastor, his marriage, Louise, and the children, and any grandchildren that will be coming. <laughs> All right? That's my charge to you and to you. God bless you. Thank you. Well, I got a charge out of that. How about you? Yeah, you know, there's a challenge there. Uh, and uh, if you're like me, you're just itching to give a reply uh, and to uh, honor uh, the commitment that we have. And uh, we're going to allow the board to do that for us for it would take too long for each of us to get up here and do that. But on behalf of all of us, the board is going to come and answer the challenge, answer the charge. And I'm going to ask them to come forward uh, right now. And um, as they make their way up here, I'm going to take the liberty of saying, would you join me in thanking them on this grateful day, Thanksgiving, for the effort they put in. They've seen us through some rocky times, and uh, I'm just so grateful for them, and they are going to, on behalf of all of us, answer the charge we've been given. Thank you. Oh, they're here. <laughs> awesome. Perfect attendance we have. Thank you, Pastor Ray. Um, you made me want to weep. Just sorry. I just... Uh, emotional morning for me. Anyway, sorry about that. Church, we want to uh, accept the challenge and accept the charge that our former lead pastor just gave us. And so I would ask that you stand with us as we pray and we accept this before the Lord humbly and that we do our part in continuing to build the church. Let's pray. Father, uh, you are so faithful. Again, more faithful than the sunrise because you created the sunrise and I thank you for that. Father, thank you for the message from Ray this morning. Father, it just hits the heart 
and it, you realize that we have an important part to play as a board, as a church, as a body of believers who, who work tirelessly. Father, we've been through a hurricane, as Pastor Ray said. Lord, we ask and we accept, we accept this charge. We accept this, we commit to this, to these items that Pastor Ray brought before us. And we accept it as a body. We accept it in front of you, Father, humbly with our hands open. Lord, we thank you so much for the new lead pastor couple that we have and their family. Father, protect them. Father, have our prayers cover them as a hedge of protection as he does have a target and they have a target on their backs. Father, may your hand of blessing be upon this church. Father, may you pour out your spirit upon each one of us as we obey every day, each and every moment, your voice as we listen and act on the things that you tell us to do, Lord. May each one of us give us your yes, give us our yes to whatever it is that you ask us to do, Father. We pray this blessing. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, guys. So the day has come that you never wanted. I'm bringing the message now. <laughs> Just kidding. I, uh, I get the privilege of introducing uh, Sean Van Dopp. Uh, Sean has been the lead pastor of uh, Main Street Church in Chilliwack, BC for, since 2006. Uh, Sean is married to uh, his wife, Sonia. They've got four adult children. And uh, Sean got to hear about Southland Church about 10 years ago when he was, and through church renewal, and he became the first pastor to sign up as a, as a coach at church renewal. And so he is, he is one of the pastors, along with Pastor Ray and Ron McLean, that uh, Stefan has at his fingertips as he needs uh, um, help, wisdom, guidance, uh, discernment, whatever all the things are that he's going to need as a lead pastor, he has them through these guys and also of course, the Lord Jesus. And so we just want, let's give Sean a, a warm welcome as he comes up and brings a message. Thanks, sir. Well, good morning. Is this on? There we go, yeah. First of all, I need to, uh, if I'm gonna give some direction, I need to hold someone responsible this morning for hiding the cats <laughs> in the background. Someone's done their homework. They are of the devil, just so you know. And um, I just feel I had to say that so the Lord doesn't take his blessing off this service right there, so. So good to be here. So good to be here. I'm so thankful for this church. I feel like I, I'm part of this church from a distance and you guys have been such an, an encouragement to me and, and hundreds and literally thousands of pastors and people. And, um, and, and what God's done through you has just been such an, an encouragement. And listen, we're gonna uh, talk in a moment of even what you've gone through in the last little while, how God has used that and is gonna use that for his glory. And, uh, and so thank you for your investment in so many people uh, around the world, so many pastors around the world. You, don't, you, don't, you may not realize, but you don't, you don't understand maybe fully the impact you have had as a church in strengthening churches and pastors all over the world. And so thank you for that. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. As you're turning to Hebrews chapter 12, let me tell you a story about a guy named Larry. 
Larry Walters was a, as, as a young boy, his desire and dream was to fly. Always wanted to fly a plane, and, uh, and so when he got old enough, he joined the U.S. Air Force, and they began to train Larry for, uh, you know, becoming a jet fighter pilot and, and going through all the rigmarole that that's entailed. And, uh, and, and through that process, though, they discovered that Larry's eyesight is just not up to par to be flying multi-million dollar jets. And so he's discouraged, and he does a few other things, and sooner or later discharges himself from the military. And one day, Larry finds himself in the backyard of his L.A. Uh, neighborhood, sitting down there in a lawn chair, and he's staring up into the sky, longing and yearning to fulfill his dream to fly. And Larry gets an idea, and he gets up, and he gets into his Jeep, and he drives down to the local Army and Navy surplus store, and he buys about 16 of these big weather balloons buys a couple tanks of helium, gets some rope, brings it home. He takes his lawn chair and he ties it to the bumper of his Jeep, takes the helium, begins to fill up these weather balloons, 16 of them tied to the back of his lawn chair. It's floating in the air, he gets in it and it's holding him up. He's going, this is awesome. He gets off, goes inside, makes some sandwiches, grabs a few of his favorite beverages and he brings out his pellet gun. And he comes back and he sits into the chair because Larry's plan is to drift off into the sky to fulfill his, his dream of flying. And he's just gonna come over his neighborhood and when he's done, he'll just pop the balloons one at a time and he'll gently come back to the ground. Huh. Larry gets into his lawn chair, he ties himself to it, gets his beverages, his drinks, his pellet gun, takes out his army knife and he cuts the rope. Larry did not go 100 feet into the air. Larry did not go 1,000 feet into the air. Larry leveled off at about 26,000 feet in the air. True story. Larry, it goes from bad doors. Larry begins to drift into the oncoming flight pattern of the LAX International Airport. And Larry gets picked up on the radar of the terminal. And they're going, who, who is this? What is this? We don't have a plane in this. It's not scheduled. Can you imagine that discussion as a guy controls like... Uh, Flight 469, we, uh, we picked something on radar. We figure if you look out your left window, you should be able to see what it is. Could you check it out for us? No problem, Control. Can you imagine that pilot? Uh, control, we've, um, we've got a guy in a lawn chair. <laughs> and he's got a gun. You know, like, you know, like, you know. You know, this, this would be the idea. And so, so somehow, some way, I don't know, the search and rescue gets deployed and they get, they get Larry down and, uh, you know, the police are there to arrest him for invading, you know, international you know, space he's not supposed to be in and the media's there and everybody's there. And they, and they ask him this question. Someone asks him from the media, he goes, Larry, why did you do that? <laughs> and this was his response. I love his response. He says this, you just can't sit there. I'm reading this story and I go, that's the Christian life. Listen, I want to tell you this morning, you can't just sit there. And for the next few moments, I just want to encourage you if I can. I want to talk to you about the power of perseverance because I think there's a lot of followers of Jesus who are just sitting there. And listen, when you don't sit there, you're going to get yourself into some hardship and struggle and moments where you don't know how you're going to get yourself out of them like Larry. But listen, that's the joy and the excitement of following Jesus, isn't it? And here's the truth, you're either moving towards Jesus or you're moving away from Jesus. 
See, if you decide just to sit and be, and, and just to sit there in life, listen, you're not moving towards him. You're actually moving away from him. And, and, and the call in the Christian life is to follow, to keep moving. Moments where you'll, but you'll have moments where you'll want to, you'll just want to stop. I'm telling you, you will. <coughs> you probably did a while ago. You probably have in the last few days. You probably have in the last few years even here. Moments where you just kind of go, let's just, let's just sit here. Perseverance all throughout scripture is often illustrated through a race or a, ru- a running, isn't it? It's one of the things through church renewal, even myself as I have been coached and going through this over the last 10 years, this is one of the biggest, biggest principles that have draw, you know, jumped out at me. Yeah, we've, we've got to finish this race. As Pastor Raven said a moment ago, a lot of people start, but a lot of people don't finish. And all throughout scripture, you see this, this, this theme of running, don't you? You see, Isaiah tells us that we will run and not grow weary, right? The psalmist says that we will run in the way of your commandments when God fills our heart. We'll, we'll run towards, and Paul tells us to run this race with an intent to win, right? I'm running in such a way as to win. He talks about this. He calls us to finish the race. We're not to run aimlessly. We're told not to look behind us, but to press on toward the goal before us. The Galatians told that they were running a good race before they, you know, before they stopped obeying God. They kind of just said, we're gonna sit here now. But you see this theme over and over all throughout scripture and repeatedly, the picture in scripture for a follower of Jesus is that you and I are to keep moving. We're to keep moving. Our culture does not equip us, though, to persevere, does it? It tells us just to sit back. I mean, you see it. We live in this instant culture, right? You don't want to go downtown to pick up something. You just get on Amazon and you, you know, order it and it shows up at your door, right? Fast food, get us, you know, food is quick. You just, I want it now. This kind of idea in our social media, you want to talk to somebody, you can text them right now and, you, and they'll answer. It's just this instant world we live in. And so perseverance doesn't come naturally to us. It's not something we just like, oh yeah, that's easy. It's actually hard, isn't it? It's a quality that's developed over time. And in fact, as the more I think about perseverance, it's actually a gift that God gives us to run the race. But we have to apply it. And perseverance takes root in our lives when we choose to hold on to God when things get tough because you trust that he is working on your behalf. I persevere because I trust that God's going to step in in that moment. As I keep going, listen, you will never live the abundant life that Jesus promised to give us without perseverance. If you want to be useful in the kingdom of God, listen, you've got to learn to persevere. That's, That's the Christian life. And a useful or fruitful follower of Jesus is a person who has gone through some stuff. A person who has dug down deep pushed their way through a struggle or kept running when they hit a wall. In fact, the definition of perseverance is this, a continued effort. That's what it means to persevere, to have this continued effort in our lives. Perseverance is a continued effort to do something and become something despite hardship, despite struggle, despite pain, despite opposition, despite trials, despite, and you can name it, right? See, as a follower of Jesus, you can't just sit there. We are called to persevere, to endure to the end, to not give up. So why do we need perseverance to live a Christian life? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but let me bring it all down to one name. This is why you need to persevere, because you have an enemy, and his name is Satan. And his goal, as you know, is to steal, kill, and destroy, and get you offline, get you 
out of your race, the one who is all about getting you to quit on your dreams or relationships or God's promises or the hope that we have, the ch you give up on the church. I mean, he's good at this kind of stuff, isn't he? And he hates you and he doesn't want you to persevere in your faith. He doesn't want you to finish well. And, and he's been successful in all our lives in some ways at some point in doing this, hasn't he? I mean, we can all look at our lives and go, yeah, there was a moment, there was a time where I just sat there and the enemy had his way with me. But, on the other, but we've also understood that, that you know, when we sit, persevere, when we, when we lean into Jesus, on the other side of that is some incredible breakthrough, isn't it? And maybe some of you here are tempted today to quit. Maybe there's people in this room today and you've come and you're, and you're still, I mean, I just, I'm tired, I'm disappointed, I'm struggling. And you're evaluating maybe your marriage, maybe you've lost hope in that area of your life, or, or you've been hurt by the church, and you think it's not worth it. Maybe even someone here today is ready to quit on God. Can I just lovingly encourage you to persevere? Because on the other side of perseverance is breakthrough. On the other side of perseverance is answered prayer, isn't it? What does Jesus teach us? You know, persevering in prayer. There's all kinds of examples and stories in Scripture. And it's only through perseverance that our prayers are often answered, right? It's a deeper connection with God. See, perseverance always precedes God's blessing in our lives. And God uses the process to make us more like Jesus. So perseverance does. God has given you, and God has given you a specific race to run. Did you know that? You have a race to run. Paul says, I, I'm running it in such a way to win, but I, I have a race. He had a race, you have a race. Ultimately, our race is to glorify God, but, but you have specific things. God's put you where you are with a specific race to run to accomplish things for his glory through your life. You have a race that he's called you to. God has given you a specific race to run. And so what the devil will try to do is get you off track, won't he? How does he do that? Well, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. Let's start in verse one. Just a couple verses I wanna read with you this morning. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, just stop there for a moment. You read through Hebrews 11, you see the hall of faith, all these examples of, of men and women who had gone before us and they're cheering you on, but you see them as examples of people who finished well, who persevered through stuff. You and I were surrounded by this cloud of witnesses says who are in heaven right now cheering you on to keep going do what we did they say listen it's worth it they would tell you and we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith and he says let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us let's stop there for a moment now the writer of Hebrews implies that the reason we don't endure is because of things, specifically sin, in our life that holds us down and holds us back, which I love what Pastor Ray just said, you know, these, and, 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 and what Stephan has been communicating to you, things like offense and unforgiveness. These are things that are gonna hold you back and, and weigh you down in this race called life. And we all know people who have chosen to live with the weight of sin, you know, haven't dealt with their stuff, and, and you know what happens then, they don't finish the race. And so if we're going to persevere, you know this, but I'm just reminding you, I mean, you, you guys know this, but you, have to, you and I, we have to deal with our sin, don't we? So the first place the devil will try to get you off track is weighing you down with sin. And he's going to weigh you down so that what? You give up, you stop, you sit there. And let me show you how he does this. I call it the gradually and suddenly tactic. 
This is what the enemy does. Now, it's true, isn't it true that things in life happen gradually and then suddenly, right? There was a time in my life where I was gradually losing my hair. <laughs> it would just kind of happen, you know? I was getting like, you know, I, I was like, man, it's thinning out up there, you know? There's more hair growing in my ears now than there was on my head. And, and it was like, you know, what's going on with that? And then, and then suddenly I just realized, this is done, it's done, so I might as well shave it off, you know? It's, it's suddenly, or gradually, then suddenly, right? Um, and, and this is, this is no, how about aging, right? You know, you, you gradually age, and you think you're not that old. You've still, got to, you've still got some spunk in your life. You've still got some energy, but all of a sudden you're realizing, hey, no, I'm getting tired a lot faster, thing, and you're gradually aging, and then suddenly, you know, you're getting a hip replacement. You're like, what, how'd that happen, right? <laughs> or, or sleeping, this is interesting, right? Uh, uh, no one sets an alarm to go to sleep, Right? We gradually relax, and then we drift off. In fact, there's three stages to sleep. What do you do? You, you, you first begin to relax. When you go to sleep, you, free, you, know, you begin to relax. And then you become less and less aware of your surroundings. That's the second stage of sleep. Some of you are there right now, right? It's like... <laughs> all you hear is... <laughs> That's kind of like the Charlie Brown thing, right? That's... Become less and less aware of your surroundings, and then you drift off. I love the story in Acts chapter 20. You know the story of the guy named Eutychus? If you're looking for a name for a child, there's one for you. Eutychus. And uh, this is a story. Paul's preaching, and, he's, and it says he's preaching it into the night. It's a long service. You ever been in one of those? And, uh, and Eutychus, I can just imagine, is sitting beside his mother and like, Mom, can I like... I want to, like, can I go to the bathroom? Can I go? And she's like, sit down. And finally he wears her down probably. He says, look, I just want to get a breath of fresh air in the back there. Okay, but be back in five minutes. And Eutychus, you, you can read it in Acts 20, he climbs up on this, on this windowsill and he, and he begins to relax. And he becomes less and less aware of his surroundings. And suddenly, gradual, suddenly he falls out the window and he dies. That's going to put a damper on any church service. I'm not, you know, going to lie. But not for Paul. Paul stops, stops, hey, runs down there, prays over him, raises him up to the dead, and I love it. He says, everyone back up, I'm not done yet. You know, like we got, and they go, and they go way into the night, right? They just got, Paul's like committed to, and I was thinking about that story, thinking about this idea that this is what happens to us spiritually. Listen, you, you, the devil will work in your life to gradually, and then suddenly, things in your life, you're, how did I get here? What happened? And it's this gradual, I, this gradual, you know, it's kind of like this grind in our lives. The devil just little things. He gets you to be, begin to relax in your life and you become less and less aware and the devil knows it and he understands the tactic. And he will gradually and slowly get you turning and walking and moving away just a little bit at a time. Right? He gets you believing that, hey, your prayers aren't working. Look, nothing's getting answered. Gradual. He gets you thinking that the Bible's out of touch, church is irrelevant, whatever it may be. And the culture and the devil is leading you off course just a little bit at a time, and we begin to relax, and we begin to become less and less aware of our surroundings, and you just keep inching off course, offline, and then suddenly, suddenly you're not praying anymore. And suddenly you're not reading your Bible anymore. 
And suddenly you aren't confessing your sin anymore. And suddenly you aren't serving anymore. And suddenly you wake up and you're surprised at where you are and what you've become. And you've become stagnant. You aren't moving anymore. All of a sudden you are just sitting there. And suddenly there's a distance maybe in your marriage or your relationship. There's an addictive struggle in your life. There's worry and anxiety. There's offense and unforgiveness in your heart. But it all begins gradually until it reveals itself suddenly. And that's why we need the power of perseverance. That's why we need to apply a persevering power in our life. Listen, perseverance is God's gift to us so that we will finish the race he's called you to. It's his gift. I've, God, I've given you this gift of perseverance so you can finish well. I've put you on a race. I've, I'm going to equip you to make sure you finish well. And, how, and so he says, dude, you won't finish it without perseverance. You won't finish it. You need endurance. So how do we endure when the suddenlies hit our life? How do we put off the weight of sin so that we can run with perseverance? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us, look at verse 2. He says this, we do this, all the you know, we get rid of this weight of sin, this stuff. We run this race. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith, or maybe you're, says the author and the perfecter of our faith. What do we do? We keep our eyes on Jesus. So, so here, here's how the devil works. He works kind of from, he comes from every angle he can, doesn't he? And if he can't get you off course gradually so that the suddenlies take you offline, he'll then try and use the suddenlies to disrupt your life. He'll, he'll tackle you with hardship, struggle, persecution, even pain. You're serving Jesus. You're following him. And all of a sudden, these troubles and trials which God told us are going to come our way in this world. You'll have trouble. Jesus said that. But often he'll use even those things that we've been warned about and encouraged with and prepared for to still take us offline, won't he? He'll get your focus off Jesus. Get your eyes off him. Suddenly maybe you get that call from the doctor and it's not good news. And are you, you, you'll be, you know, suddenly you're canceled or unfriended for what you believe or stand for. Or suddenly your kids will go pro- prodigal on you even though you brought them up in the Lord and you have this trial and this hardship. And the enemy will use these struggles to get you to question or even shake your fist at God sometimes. But God has given us a weapon to fight these suddenlies in life and it's perseverance, church. And perseverance is the gift God instills in us the moment you feel like quitting or giving up or just sitting there. But it's a gift we must receive, and it's a tool, a resource we must apply. You know why you attend church? Do you know why you come to gatherings like this? Do you know why we do this? Do you know why you read your Bible? Do you know why you pray? Do you know why you do devotions? Do you know why you serve or, or, or go to a set free retreat or participate in Empower? Whatever it is, you know why you do all those things? It's not just because, you know, well, we should do those things. Yeah, we should, but it's, they're actually the training ground God uses to teach you the power of perseverance. They're what God uses to prepare us for those moments that come in your faith where you're tempted to just sit there to give up. And the devil will even try and use the training ground, these things that God calls us to, to get you offline. You know, the church hurt you. Well, you'll say, give up. You know, the Bible's boring. Stop reading it. God seems really distant. Why even pray? No one appreciates me around here anymore. You stop serving. You know, whatever it may be. And 
And listen, all our training, all the things you do, they're for the development of perseverance in your life. And, and now did you know that Jesus is our perfect example? Do you believe that? Uh, what I love about Jesus, when he calls us to do things, he always modeled it himself, didn't he? He, he, would, he, would, we, he would be the perfect model of how we should live our lives if we're trying to become more like him. And I'm just, I don't know about you, but aren't you glad Jesus persevered? Aren't you? I mean, aren't you, aren't, you, aren't you glad he didn't give up on you? Before him was a cross, right? A dirty, ugly, painful Roman cross. And he looked at it, and he didn't just sit there. <laughs> he saw what it would accomplish. Look at the second part of verse 2. Because of the joy awaiting him, what does it say? He endured the cross. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. It's good news. See, Jesus looked past our struggle. He looked past his struggle. He looked past the, the, the pain that was before him, the trial that he saw, and he saw what his perseverance would accomplish. And what did his perseverance accomplish? Your salvation, your redemption. And if you wanna talk about struggle and pain and hardship, look at what Jesus endured. He knew that on the other side of the cross was a resurrection that would secure yours and my relationship with God himself. And Jesus could have just sat there, but he didn't. He endured the cross, he ran his race, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus is victorious, he showed us how to persevere, and so the next time you think about giving up, do what the writer of Hebrews has told us to do here. Look at verse three, I feel like giving up. Well, read this, think of all the hostility Jesus, he endured from sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. I feel like giving up. Hold on a second. Look what Jesus did. He endured. Look at everything he endured. Look at the hostility. And, and that's you and me, by the way. We're, we're the sinful people that were hostile towards God, but yet he endured the cross so that you and I, he persevered so that we could know him personally. And he modeled perseverance for us. Now let me close with one more verse from this chapter. I want to apply it to you guys. I want to apply it to this church. I, want, I think it's a word for Southland. You have come through some trials, some struggles, some disappointments. It's been a tough couple years, division. But you, listen, you've, you've persevered. I want to encourage you, you have persevered. There's been some you know, failures and bang-ups and stumbles and hurts and losses along the way. But I'm telling you, you have endured. But I want you to say, but, you know, and, that, and that's good, you've endured. But can I say this? But you're not done persevering. You're not done. This is, this is not the time to just sit there. Okay, like, you know, Pastor Ray touched on that in his message a bit there. And like, you know, like, let's just kind of see what Stefan can do now. Let's just, okay, I've done my part. Boy, I prayed and persevered. Whoo, time for a break. You guys can take it from here. No, it's not that. There's another chapter to be written for Southland. And the journey will only be over, perseverance will only conclude when Jesus returns. 
So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Look at verse 12. I love this. Here's, this read it personally for you, church. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Why don't you read it with me? This is for you. Read it again. Let's read it again. Take a new grip. Love that. How many got some tired hands <laughs> the last few years? How many got some weak knees, some, some struggles, some... I mean, this, 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 is what, this is what the Lord is saying. Now, here's what I encourage you to do with this. I, I was reading about this, I was praying for you, I was putting this together. I, this, this is kind of the picture I got. You guys understand it. You guys have taught me how to do this. So, <laughs> hearing God and listening. And, and in this picture, I was kind of thinking about this verse. That's a great verse. That's... Man, they've gone, Lord, the South has gone through some stuff. And you know what? I think you need a new grip. <laughs> get a grip, okay? Get a grip. You need a new grip. And, and the picture I got, you ever, it was a picture of a movie scene. It's not any specific movie. It's just pretty much every kind of adventure, you know, thriller kind of movie where there's a, a villain and there's a good guy. And you know what those are like, and they're, and, they're, and they're battling it out all throughout the movie. It's that epic scene at the end where they're fighting, and the good guy, he's banged up, he's bruised, he's bloodied, he's, he's broken, he's messed up, and, and the villain has the upper hand. You can see, like, he's not going to make it. And at some point in that tussle, that fight, what happens? The villain, the bad guy, grabs the good guy and maybe, like, throws him over a cliff, and he's gone. And you're thinking, it's done. Movie's over. <laughs> you know, and the villain's like, woohoo! He's smiling and he's victorious. And this is, what, this is the picture I got. I'm reading this verse for Southland. And you know what the movie, and you think it's over, the, kind of, the villain's kind of walking away with this victory and all of a sudden the camera and the music's and it pans back to the edge of that cliff. And what do you see? It's like... <laughs> right? This guy pulls himself up. And you're like, the music starts going, the villain's like, huh? And he gets up, he has this adrenaline, and he has this new found energy, and, he, and, he, and his resolve, and this perseverance, and he comes up, and he, you know, they've, he, he finishes him off, and he's victorious. Listen, this, this is what the Lord, I believe, would encourage you with today. You know, it's not done. You're not done. And I'm sure it's felt at times like you had been thrown over the edge and it looks like things are done, it's over. At the very least, you may be thinking, Southland's never gonna be what it used to be. It's been tough and you have some scars to show for it, but I believe the Lord's saying, look it, it's time to take a new grip. It's time, what does it say, to strengthen your weak knees. It's time. This Church is the moment to persevere, to get back on the path, because just as we have races to run, churches have races to run. And God has given you guys a race, and Lord, make it clear. Make it clear. Because there are thousands of people, and leaders, and pastors, and churches, that God wants to continue to strengthen, and you, Southland, 
have been, and I believe will continue to be, a shining example of what can happen when people persevere. Listen, I'm not happy you went through what you've gone through. But I do know this. What you've gone through is gonna be an even greater example to churches that are being renewed and strengthened all over the world. God's still using, I mean, it's, a, I mean, it's like, okay, all this stuff, all these principles, all that self-land is, oh, that's great. I wonder if it really works. It works. It's true. You are living examples of that. And listen, you have a new pastor. Take hold of the vision with him. Hold him up. Persevere with him. Don't stand back and see what's going to happen. Don't be that guy that Pastor Ray says, well, just, okay, let's, I'm going to watch. That's not what it's about. Don't sit back and rest. Whatever you do, Southland, don't just sit there. Keep moving. Take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. You still have a mission before you. And that's what it means to persevere. And on the other side of that is new life, supernatural breakthrough, answered prayers, and a fresh new chapter to be written for Southland. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you as the team comes. Lord Jesus, I pray right now for each person in this room today who have committed themselves to this part of your body known as Southland Church. And would you, by your power and your grace, speak life into each heart today, reminding them that they are in a race that you've called them to, And now as this next chapter is about to be written, God, that they would not sit back, but they would keep moving. Lord, where now am I to persevere? How, God, do you want me to endure to see your promises and your vision fulfilled for this body? And I just pray, God, that each person here would be encouraged by that. God, thank you for the enduring spirits in this room today, the folks that have stuck it through And God, it's so easy now to say, I need to rest. And you do. God wants to renew you, but he doesn't renew us when we just sit. He renews us on the run. That's how he works. Keep moving. And I pray, God, that each person here would do that and and renew themselves before we say, God, what is it you've called me to do now? How can I support the ministry and the mission of this church that you've put me in? And God, in doing that, on the other, we've seen breakthrough here, but God, there's more that you want to do. And as this church continues to persevere, that they would see breakthroughs and more answers to prayer on the other side of that perseverance. And ultimately, my prayer, God, is that each one of us here who are followers of you would endure to the very end so that we can all hear those words that I don't think everyone will hear we would be able to hear on that day when we stand before our Savior who is and who would say well done good and faithful servant well done Southland well done church and that in that day God we would know that we have been faithful we have been true and we have been committed so God I pray a blessing and encouragement over this church I believe Lord that what is ahead is going to be such a surprise You're going to surprise them, and God, it's going to be impacting, and it's going to be ultimately for your glory that you will be lifted up because of the perseverance of your saints. 
Lord, may it be so in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, church.